On today's episode, meet Catherine Barrow, a passionate classical musician. I'm your host, Sylvia Morn, and you're listening to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Today, I have a really special lady with me on the podcast. Her name is Kathy Barrow. She is the owner of a Chamber Music Society in Mexico, and she is the owner also of a marketing company. Just think of that as two things coming together in the musical world. Very interesting combination. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Really nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So what we'd love to know first is how did you get into music and why are you so passionate about classical music of itself? Because in my country where we are at the moment, classical music has kind of a mixed reaction. So why are you so passionate? How did you get into music? I was really, I was really lucky because I grew up in a family. I didn't know there were other types of music other than classical music until I was about 17 or 18. I grew up with it. So um, it was, to me, it was completely alive. I also, history is alive to me. I was a medieval historian. I learned Latin. And so reading reading history and reading all these wonderful things and, and hearing a piano concerto that people used to swoon to, they used to faint in the audience because the guy was so cute. And can you imagine? And and we we don't talk about that, but that's that's what I grew up with. And I would listen to this piece over and over again. I'd be like, what did he look like? Oh my God, he must have been gorgeous. <laughs> listen to how he was playing. And so it's a completely different, different approach to I think what normal people look as classical music. I think for me, classical music was fun and I remember surround sound didn't exist at the time. And so I found big speakers in the basement of the house and I brought them up and I put them underneath my bed, my poor parents. I put them underneath my bed so that the hiss would be taken out by the bed and I'd sit on top of the bed and I'd play the Verity Requiem and the whole house would shake. Because <laughs> it was so loud. But to feel the vibrations like that and then to hear the funny stories about, um, for example, and in the Verdi Requiem, Toscanini was conducting it one time, and a friend of mine was in the chorus, and he started screaming at the bass drum players, like, louder, louder! And the bass drum player got so mad, he just went, bam! And the bass drum pl- went flying off the stage, a little twirly thing on the ground, and stopped, and the entire place was like this. He said, well, maybe not so loud. <laughs> you know? And when you when you start realizing how alive classical music is, we... Classical music is alive. The problem is that the marketing has tried to make it into a museum piece. And this is why I have a museum behind me. It has tried to make it into a museum piece. And what I'm trying to do it is I'm trying to put it back to where it was, which was in the parlors of old castles. So just before we get into the marketing discussion, because that is a vital part of today's society of trying to get artists making money to live, basically, if we put it in those terms, what instrument do you play and when did you start playing it? I play the violin. I play the violin because I was six years old when I found out what a flute was and they wouldn't let me play it because my lungs were too small. So they gave me a violin. So I played violin, flute, piano, guitar, oboe. Um, I sang. I learned conducting. Everything. Everything. Wow. Because I just, I just loved it so much. 
And out so of I, interest, out of interest, being the conductor versus the person playing an instrument, which would you prefer? I'm one of those few musicians that actually really gets along with conductors because I studied it. And it is conducting is a leadership skill and playing is playing is a very difficult thing because we're taught to be creative and we're taught to go out there and do everything else. And then when we get up on a stage, we finally get a job. We have to do exactly what the conductor says. And so we're trained in a way that doesn't go with what we're taught to do. And I have the advantage that since I learned to be a conductor, I learned leadership skills and I learned why we as musicians have to follow the conductor. So there's not this huge, um, I don't know the word in English, this huge um, clash between conductors and myself. Because but I conductors studied. have a very broad skill set. I mean, people think, um, those that don't study conducting, they think, oh, so they're only guiding the orchestra with their baton. But there's a lot more to conducting. I mean, they're managing a group of people with all different personalities and, you know, very emotional music then that some will love and more mightn't like. So how do you, like, what are the skills that a conductor needs to be a good conductor? Uh, he has to be a good leader because this doesn't make any sound. A baton doesn't make any sound. And so he can stand up there and I've, I've seen it happen. He can stand up there and a musician can go on strike and he can play something else in a concert. I mean, a conductor is completely vulnerable in a concert. He has to make sure that everyone is following him because if they don't, they can go and strike on a stage. It's a very, very difficult situation because when you're a leader of a business, you go into like a private cubby hole or you bring the person into your gorgeous office and you say, you've been a bad boy, right? How do you do it in an orchestra? Someone's playing badly on purpose. I mean, how do you stop him from doing it? And it has to be, most of the time, it has to be positive reinforcement. So how so do you... What so what you're saying is the relationship's in the orchestral scene are delicate and have to be very, managed very carefully. And if a conductor makes a mistake, a leadership mistake, not even a conducting mistake, a leadership mistake, the entire world will know it because I know people from here to China. The, the classical music world is so small. I can tell you when the orchestra in Cairo opens, I can tell you what they're playing in Beijing because this is, this is the way we run. This is the way we work. So if a conductor is bad, they'll know it in another country and they probably won't hire him. So it's a very, very difficult thing. When you do badly in your job, there's like a million people, million other people like you. So you could switch jobs easily. If you're a violinist and you behave badly in one orchestra, good luck. Because they won't hire you in another one. So it's a challenging world, to be fair. Yeah, challenging it's world. a very, very small world. And so it's, it's funny, the trust within our world, the backstabbing is pretty bad but the trust you would never steal from another musician because everyone would know you did it and your reputation would be gone so the the there's a different type of trust within the artist world that doesn't exist in other in other parts this, and I this leads us to a topic now that I have witnessed very much and witnessed actually just in recent years of the idea of the performers on stage doing their thing but not totally representing the music and communicating what they feel with the audience. And therefore, when the audience is attending, we'll say a classical concert, that's what we're talking about in genre terms, they think, oh, this music is boring. The players are boring on stage. It's like classical music has had its day. I mean, but you're coming across today and you're saying, no, it's a brilliant world. 
So what changes do you see needs to be made? Because I think if something is sold with passion off a stage, that's it, job done. What's your I live in a country, I'm very lucky to live in Mexico because I live in a country where classical, where the second and third national anthems, you can't play them without a symphony orchestra. You have to have a symphony orchestra to do it. So, you know, um, when you when you want to feel really Mexican, you stand in front of a symphony orchestra. And so it's a very different attitude. The conductors are young and they're cute and the, the audiences are younger. I remember when I first got here, all of the women would come to the concert to find their husbands in the orchestra. I mean, it was it's a completely different attitude than, than in, in other countries. The first time we went to tour in the US, the Mexicans in the orchestra, they were like, wow, the audiences are so old here because they're much younger here. And it's a different type of feel, it's a different type of excitement. And so the orchestra also brings that across, okay? So the next question is, if you look at America as a template and they say that the audience is of an older age group, what can symphony orchestras do to change that? What can they do? I'm not gonna answer that directly. I'm gonna say that when Handel was writing his operas and one of my favorite Metropolitan Opera productions is Agrippina. It's absolutely fantastic. If you, if, if you it costs like maybe $10 to buy it on the Metropolitan Opera page, it's so worth it. Um, people used to sell rotten tomatoes outside of Handel's operas so they could kill the worst singer. And so can you imagine oh like goodness. buying your rotten tomatoes, right? Then you're getting ready that one. And then, you know, the person on the stage knows that they're the worst that they're going to get hit. And then how do you keep singing after you get this awful tomato stuff like pouring down your face, right? So this is um, when you go to a Broadway show, just imagine that this is a Broadway show from like 200 years ago. People are sitting there saying, I don't know, you like this piece? I mean, Beethoven wrote it, but do you like it? You know, and then maybe people don't applaud at the end. And then you have the other really big adventure is everything was written by hand, right? And so you have like wrong notes and it's much harder to read what they've written and the, the quality of the orchestras was, isn't, wasn't was it is what it is today. And so you kind of get like a, a, a shadow of what the piece was actually really like. And, and then you get who goes to the concerts. It's all, it's all an adventure. And if you just bring that back again, I, I played a concert once here in Mexico. Classical music is still an adventure. It's kind of like, I really feel that Mexico can be like the St. Patty of the world and like bring classical music back to the, to the rest of the world. But um, I was playing a concert for Thanksgiving and I'm in Mexico, okay? And I played a concert about American music. I had my whole script written out, pictures and everything else. We played the Star Spangled Banner in Mexico in a country that's not fond of the United States and nobody clapped. And so I was in front of a hundred people who were really mad that I was on the stage. And I had to change everything I said to get them back because it's not about us. It's not about us, it's about them. And if you sit there and you say, oh, I just played so fantastically. Yeah, but did you project to the audience? Um, when, I started, when I started this project, I went to tons of concerts. And the interesting thing about going to tons of concerts is every audience feels different. I mean, being in the stage is one thing, but being in the audience. And so there's one audience that's very patriotic here in my city. We have three symphony orchestras, two and a half at the moment because of COVID. But um, that, or, or, that audience, Sunday, downtown Toluca, let's just go and have a wonderful lunch and let's just go be patriotic. 
good Mexicans and let's go hear Beethoven. I don't know how he did that. But, you know, good Mexicans, they go and they hear Beethoven. And 2,000 people go every other Sunday. You have to line up for the building an hour in advance or you can't get in. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's all the marketing because he, the conductor, he makes it fun. He makes yeah. it fun. And that's, that's what it's all about. Um, there's another conductor unbelievable guy he's just absolutely unbelievable when COVID started he his last concert with us his last concert was actually with with my orchestra and he said kathy i've got to get to spain i've got to get to spain i said you're not gonna go anywhere he's like just you wait he did 35 facebook lives relearned how to play the piano he's a, a violinist a conductor a countertenor and a pianist he relearned how to play the piano went from his absolute first disastrous facebook live to getting hired for online gigs during quarantine for a lot of money, lost 50 pounds during quarantine, and was on that first flight to Spain. That's amazing. Because he loves it so much. And those are the people that we have here who inspire us. And the well, that's it, you see. There's like, some people think to go to a classical concert would say you're going to an opera. You have to read up about the composer and you have to study the storyline of the opera before you go and you see the opera being performed or likewise with a ballet or with a symphony or a concerto before you can actually go and appreciate the music and what it's all about. Do you think people have to go to that depth? Um, I meet a lot of people who say, I'm really sorry, I don't know anything about classical music. I say, I'm really sorry, I don't, I'm not an architect. Will you forgive me? You know, I mean, why do people have to apologize about not knowing about classical music when I know nothing about so many other things? Do you apologize to the architect because you don't know how to read a, a floor plan? No. Do you apologize to the plumber because you don't know how to change the pipes? It's the same thing. It's a profession. And this is something that I'm really, really fighting. It's a it's a fantastic profession. I will give you that. It's a fantastic profession. But it is a profession. And we should learn, if a plumber doesn't have any work, he's not advertising himself well enough, or he doesn't do a good job, and so no one's referring him. Now, if you were to advise a musician who's thinking about the world of classical music and learning classical music and kind of a glazed look on their face when they see a piece that they've got to study that's classical when they'd prefer maybe to do blues or jazz or something, what would you tell them to inspire them? It's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's, um, I was really, really lucky during COVID because I doubled my salary. I mean, how many people can say that during quarantine, they doubled their salary? Okay. I doubled my salary because marketing classical music is probably one of the hardest things in the world. And I did it just because I was stubborn. And I would say that's the most fantastic thing about classical music is that if you're learning even as an amateur, if you're learning a classical music piece, you'll do everything else better because it's organization, it's putting your mindset correctly, it's being positive. You cannot play a piece well if you're beating yourself on the head. Oh, I did that badly. Oh, I did that badly. Oh, you're going to put the violin away and you're going to forget about it. But if you go at it saying, if I do it this way, or maybe if I do it this way, and then if I do it this way, oh, wow, that sounded better. And if you do it in a positive attitude, you take that to whatever type of work you're doing. It changes you as a person. Now, in some genres of music, such as traditional Irish music, there are very clear opportunities. And I was telling you before the interview that in Irish music, you have an instrument making opportunity currently really in demand. And the servicing of those instruments is a long term 
career choice that is realistic, that pays the bills for people if they want to pursue that particular career in the musical world. What kinds of opportunities have you seen in the classical music world? For performing? For performing well, or even outside of performing? Like, like, are there opportunities within the realm of conducting if people want to pursue that? Or are is there instrumental making opportunities like what opportunities so like for a student who's studying music and who's thinking okay i'm doing all this classical music it seems to be a small world Mm, you know they're questioning this whole zone of thinking what would you tell them that could be an opportunity for them okay i'm not changing the subject you're a hotel owner okay you own like a three-star hotel well maybe like it's it's a it's a boutique hotel it's a four-star boutique hotel nobody's coming a year and a half are you going to go through this existential angst or are you going to sit there and say, I've got to get my marketing together and I've got to get the people back. Right. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It's just that we think about it differently. You've got this empty theater. Think of it like an empty hotel. It's exact. And I'm, I'm a travel agent. That's why, that's why I do this. Think of it as an empty hotel. How do you bring the people back? It's all in your ads. It's all in, in how you entice the people to come back. So I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Um, I live in probably the center of the Mexican universe. It's one of the most important cities. It's, it's where most of the presidents have come for the last hundred years. They come from about a town that's about maybe 50 miles away from the city. So it's old. This city's old. It's going to be 500 years old next month, which is the second oldest city in the country. Um, so there's an ex hacienda here who never had to do their marketing because all the governors and the mayors and everyone, anyone who's anyone did their parties there. And so since they didn't have any marketing, they called me and they said, Kathy, we're not using the building. You want it? Great. And so I took the entire Hacienda and I put the dinner in one room and I put the concert hall in the other room. Maybe 60 people showed up. We made, we didn't make money from the concerts. We made $3,000 from the gigs that came from that concert. She made $12,000 new contracts because people remembered what she so was there doing. there you are. So as a musician, you can impact people's emotional state, meaning that they'll be so attracted to come back again, you've already made business happening for you. Exactly. And you make business happen for the places that you're playing at because isn't it so much a better marketing experience to say, Kathy's playing there than to say today breakfast is cheaper than yesterday because nobody's coming. Yeah. 70,000 people saw the ad saying that I was playing in that place. And so maybe, maybe 500 said, Oh wow. You know, my son's graduating next month. That would be a great place to have the party. And that's what happened. So it's a mutual beneficial thing. People don't need culture. This is, this is what we've got to really remember. People go to museums because they like it. People go to the Louvre because they like it. Not They don't get dragged to go. They go because they want to see something in particular. Okay? It's the same thing with classical music. People go because they want to see something. Or perhaps they want to be seen with someone who's there. I promote that a lot. The who's who. I, I actually, in my next concert, I hired the best photographer in town so he can take pictures of the public. So that the public can post all over the place. I was at Kathy's concert. So the next concert will be full. It's not, it's not all about us. This is something that artists really have to remember. It's not all about us. It's about them. I agree. You don't go to a movie because your friends in the, one of the actors in the movie. 
but it's, I'm very much into this whole idea of community building and community building through connection, through emotional connection. And one thing that the digital world has done is, yes, it has served to connect us digitally, but there is nothing like that in-person experience where you're hearing sound created by a multitude of instruments on stage. There is absolutely nothing like it. And if it's translated with passion, wow, it's memorable. You will just want to return to that venue. But I am really, you know, speaking strongly about in this podcast about the building of, of musical communities and how that it improves mental health. It creates new community building. Not everybody's into the sporting arena, which is very prevalent in many places in society at the moment. And I know that there's people in, in other parts of communities that need these outlets to to go to whether they're business people or whether they're ordinary people off the street it doesn't matter but it's I think it's the most beautiful thing when you translate story on stage and you bring Beethoven alive and you bring Mozart alive and you bring all these characters alive and then you play their music with the backstory included and you translate it with passion there is absolutely nothing like it so I think classical music has a huge opportunity to play out in these days I really do and I can see it all over the place where it could come in with so much benefit to society for me when I'm listening to classical music it makes me sit up straight and you start to you know really pay attention to the sound that's being created as opposed to some other genres of music which I won't mention that I don't do that it's it's a very different it it triggers the emotional state in a very unique way that's how I'll say it so, I would say, I would say, thank you for everything you're doing. First of all, thank you for everything you're doing. It's it's fantastic. I would say the most important word is that it's fun. Oh yeah. Start uh, when when quarantine started. When quarantine started, um, you know, my my career was over. I mean, I I was a medieval historian. I knew how long this was going to go on for. I knew it wasn't going to be three weeks, and so my career was over, temporarily over for a while. So. I decided I was going to become the most famous violinist in the country. I think I'm one of the most famous violinists in the world at this point, and I haven't played a note. You know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done, I have done the virtual thing. I, I have um, some videos out there that I've, I've played with virtual backgrounds and things like that. But it's the message and it's who you are that goes before what you do, and um, I think classical musicians. I want to say this in a positive way. Classic musicians need to stop feeling sorry for themselves and realize that being a museum piece means that we are involved in something that is so amazing that it's lasted for 300 years. And then we have to go back and we have to figure out why. Because, for example, I've played Beethoven 5 like maybe 20 million times and I really didn't like it anymore. I really, really didn't like it anymore until I had to play it as a string quartet arrangement. And then I had to restudy the entire piece and then it's like, oh my God, this is a really cool piece. So now when I go back and play it with the symphony, it feels fresher because I had to study it in a different way. So I would say to people, look at what you're doing and don't feel sad because the world's not noticing you. Figure out a way to make yourself noticed. Yeah, but it's about the person, isn't it? Like I'm reading in between the lines here that what you're saying is the music is a vital component and that's what's giving you the marketing tool, if you will. 
but the person behind it is just as important. So if you think of the other person more than your own ego being massaged as a musician, you will outperform. And I've actually seen this. I have seen this in the traditional Irish music world. There's a lady called Sharon Shannon, and she plays the concertina. She's from West Clare. And when she plays on stage, she is smiling with the people on stage. She's looking out at the audience and she's smiling at them dancing on the street. She's enjoying the whole experience. And you know the lady then is not about her and how good she is. She's looking around her and engaging and enjoying the whole scene and engaging with the sound and the whole lot. And it brings everybody into the zone, the zone of sound, the zone of fun, as you put it. And I think that's that's very often what can be missed with music is that it's it's all I. We have a Gaelic word and it's called mayfane, mayfaneism, myself, I and myself. Get beyond that and you're in a good zone to get there. You're exactly. Yeah, exactly. The problem with us as musicians is we work when you rest. And so there is not a communication. There's not a communication between artists and the rest of the world. It's a very difficult line. When I started becoming a business person, I was terrified because I'd never stepped outside the music world. You guys get together Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we can never see you because we're working the entire time. Our free day is Monday. You guys are going crazy on a Monday. And so this is this is what, um, this is, there's not so much communication. So how do we communicate? And this is something that has to be worked on also. We are special, but everybody is in their own way. So when you speak about this idea of communication, are you talking about communicating what the life of an artist entails? Is that what you're speaking about? Or um, like when you say communication you as to what story. I'll tell you a strange story. One time I, I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist and he brought all of his eyeglasses and everything to the concert hall so that people could go and have their, their eye exams there. They wouldn't talk to him. I had to stand beside him so they would talk to me so I would talk to him. We're so not used to talking to to people, to not musical people, that it, it's a barrier. And so we're up on the stage and you're down in the audience. God forbid we should step down into the audience. And so this is something that we need to do. We need to get into the audience. We need to see what they like. Yes, see what the market likes. Well, see what you like. Because when you go to an orchestra mm -hmm. concert, everyone has a favorite. Right. People who go to concerts all the time, they go to watch like two or three people. That's it. Right. It's not really about the symphony. It's about to see, oh, she looks sad today. Maybe something happened, you know, and it's kind of like watching a silent <laughs> opera, a silent, silent movie. Right. You're just watching what happens. And this is and, and you can tell whether or not the, the musicians like the concert. You can tell if the conductor wasn't happy or things like that. I played a concert a while ago and they and it was a Bach. Um, it was a Bach concert. So it's kind of hard to tell. The cellist was one, three seconds off. He was three seconds off for an entire movement. And I was like, I was looking at him like this. And so someone came up to me and said, it sounded okay. It sounded okay. But you looked upset. Did something happen? <laughs> you know, so that's, that's, people go for the visual part also. So that you have to think about what you're projecting to the audience. And that's something we do. I've spoken about that in different ways across the podcast about like as a performer whether you're a novice intermediate advanced it doesn't matter work on how you perform work on how you communicate with the audience because that's where it lies in my understanding is is where that if you can connect to the audience and have fun with the audience you that's it that's what it is all about exactly 
It's completely. Well, listen, Kathy, it's been a pleasure. And um, we'll have you back again. Thank you. Because I can sense there's so many stories you want to tell. There isn't enough of time today for all the stories you have. And I think as well what you're doing, you're marrying this idea of marketing and business with the musical world and setting yourself apart. And I think that's a huge little tip. That's a huge nugget of gold for a novice intermediate musician to think about if they want to pursue the world of music, just to get educated with this whole idea of marketing. And they'll be well on their way then before they even get out there performing. Exactly. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.